honestly, in the second half, that should give you some hope as a Giants fan, right? Just the way Daniel Jones played, looked, the way the offense looked. It looked like Josh Allen out there, honestly, yeah, running around, making plays. I know he was terrible for the first six quarters of the season. There's no debating that. Even Daniel Jones is terrible in those those six quarters, but he played like an MVP uh, from that point forward, and that's why the it's a big reason the Giants came back and, and won that game is because Daniel Jones, I think, put on the Superman cape. Well, somebody had to carry the team, and I think that's kind of what he was thinking coming out at halftime. Like, somebody's got to do something. And, you know, I'm the franchise quarterback. I'm the $140 million, $160 million man. Um, You know, it's time to turn it up and make something happen, and he most certainly did. Welcome into the program. Ryan O'Leary here along with Dan Benton. It's the Giants Wire podcast, which is – Powered by the USA Today Network, we appreciate you for hopping on board. We hope you stick around all season and subscribe. You can find this show wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, we'll be back weekly throughout the season. Uh, what's up, Dan? You believe in miracles, my friend? I believe in Daniel Jones. I'll tell you that <laughs> you much. You do. But, uh, yeah, the talk about it. I, I know everybody keeps saying the tale of two halves. It was more like the tale of two and a half quarters. But what a wild game. What an unexpectedly wild game, really. Um a lot to digest, a lot to take in, a lot of good, a lot of bad. You know, it's Giants. That's just how we do this thing. <laughs> that was that was an experience for the ages. And I, the graphic that flashed on the screen when the Giants were celebrating after the field goal there at the end, the first 21-point comeback since they rallied past the Chicago Cardinals in 1949. When you see that graphic flash across the board, it's like, holy crap, we we should be zero two. The Giants should be zero two right now. Like this, this was not supposed to happen. Uh, you're, you're down twenty one points yeah. in late in the third quarter. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say they shouldn't. They shouldn't have been down that much in the first place. So you know there was a lot of things in that game that that shouldn't have happened, uh, but that did happen. And you know it's such a wild roller coaster in terms of emotions and where giant the Giants and the fans were following that week one beat down at the hands of Dallas and then where they were at halftime of this game compared to where they are now. And it's, it's the NFL. The NFL is wild and things can change in a hurry. And now the Giants suddenly have this incredible momentum, almost uh, more so than the, if they would have just gone out there and beat the brakes off the Cardinals. It's This this one energized the franchise a little bit more than a casual win would have. So there is that added plus to this. But at the same time, You've got six and a half quarters where this team has just been beaten into the ground by what some would argue is the best team in the NFL and what some would argue is the worst team in the NFL. And over the first two games, there's there's far more concerning things than there are things to be optimistic about. Yeah, for sure. We're going to get into some of those concerning things um, during the podcast here. Number one, I think on a lot of people's minds is the state of Saquon Barkley's ankle. Sounded like we got some good news from Adam Schefter there Sunday night, Dan, or Monday. Um, so I guess sigh of relief, but Saquon Barkley out for multiple weeks anyway, especially, you know, this Thursday night game coming up against the Niners. What's, what do you hear and what's the latest you guys have been writing on Giants Wire about Barkley? Well, I know there are a lot of internet doctors out there that keep saying it looks like a high ankle sprain, but by all accounts, by all tests and measures, it seems like he's just got an ordinary ankle sprain. And, you know, as a bit of an expert in ankle sprains myself, having had about 5,000 of them in my <laughs> lifetime, um, it's never a good thing, um, especially for a running back. It's never a good thing. But if he did, in fact, avoid the high ankle variety, which appears that he had, you know, he could be back in a couple weeks. I know they're saying three weeks right now, but, you know, Saquon tends to be a pretty fast healer, even though he's dealt with a multitude of injuries. So 
I could see him back in two weeks, but he's most certainly going to be out on Thursday night and quite possibly next Monday night, but that extra day of rest might help a bit. I think, you know, when we all saw him, his reaction on the sideline, him spiking the helmet, that didn't, I, I'm like, oh, well, he's done. You know what I mean? He knows. But uh, I think this is this is definitely a sigh of relief. I think that's the best way to put it, right? This is a few weeks. Like, Oh, yeah. When he spiked that helmet, I thought it was over. Yeah. Well, the way he got bent back, you, you know, it could have been exponentially worse. Like you were thinking like some, you know, potentially serious knee injury, maybe a back injury, you know, who knows? It's just, you know, and you got to feel for Saquon too. forget the whole contract situation. The fact that he gambled on himself and we talked about how he couldn't afford to get injured. The bottom line is it's like you can't avoid that situation. That's just the game of football and the quirky things that happen within the game of football and when they happen within the game of football. And it is, it is extremely unfortunate it happened when it happened or that it happened at all. Uh, but it's not like, you know, people can argue that Saquon somehow, you know, put himself in that position because he didn't. And I know the injury prone label is going to get thrown away around. And I, I do feel that that's a little unnecessary in this particular instance because there was, there was, that was unavoidable. There was nothing that he could have done to have avoided that injury. So how are you getting all these uh, ankle sprains in your life, Dan? Is that when you were going out hiking? I know you're a big hiker. No, that's fo- no, that's football. football? Well, yeah, I was football. also a little personal detail that I don't generally share with people, but I was born with club foot. So oh. I've always had sort of weak ankles as it is, but football really, you know, I, you know, I sprain my ankle constantly playing football. Yeah. Football is just an injury waiting to happen. You know, I didn't play yeah. in high school, but all my buddies did. They were all banged up all the time. Knee injuries. Pretty much. So, yeah, the yeah. vast majority of the injuries <laughs> I've ever had in my life came during, you know, came during football. So, I was like, guys, I love this sport, had, but why are you doing this? Yeah. What are you doing to yourselves here? <laughs> I, yeah, you know, it's funny. You get older and you ask yourself, you know, you weren't in the NFL. Why did you torture yourself like this? Because, I mean, you know, I've torn, you know, my ACL, PCL, MCL. I've broken so many bones and stitches and concussions and sprained ankles and you name it. And I've had it playing football. And funny thing is, is I'd go back and do it all again. And I bet you any NFL player would say, or at least the vast majority of NFL players would say the same thing. Yeah. I joke around saying, yeah, I didn't, I was smart. I didn't play football in high school. I didn't get myself hurt, <laughs> but I also am kind of jealous of everybody who did. I would have liked to see what it was like uh, for sure. But um, okay. So you talked about DJ talked about halftime again. The Giants negative 60 on the point differential on the season at halftime. That's just unbelievable. So they come out, Dan, what changed second half? I know people are debating whether Brian Dayball took over the play calling, (laughs) but certainly the Giants came out. They were more aggressive. They finally started using these weapons that we were talked about all offseason. Jalen Hyatt using his speed, stretching the field, uh, unleashing uh, Waller over the middle a little bit, right? I mean, all these guys started getting into it. DJ started running around making plays. Honestly, in the second half, that should give you some hope as a Giants fan, right? Just the way Daniel Jones played, looked, the way the offense looked. It looked like Josh Allen out there, honestly. Yeah, running around, making plays. I know he was terrible for the first six quarters of the season. There's no debating that. Even Daniel Jones is terrible in those those six quarters. But he played like an MVP uh, from that point forward. And that's why the it's a big reason the Giants came back and, and won that game is because Daniel Jones, I think, put on the Superman cape. Well, somebody had to carry the team, and I think that's kind of what he was thinking coming out at halftime. Like, somebody's got to do something. And, you know, I'm the franchise quarterback. I'm the $140 million, $160 million man. Um, you know, it's time to turn it up and make something happen, and he most certainly did. You know, I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know, you know, he pieced together what was the greatest second half of quarterback play in NFL history statistically. Um 
and he did it with his arm and his legs. And I think one of the biggest changes that the team made coming out in the third quarter, uh, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, obviously, is that they decided to just take shots down the field. And I don't know how long you've heard me screaming for that on this podcast, but Daniel Jones is a is a good deep ball passer. I know people don't want to admit that. I don't know. I, you know, it doesn't really fit with certain narratives. But once he has a moment and he starts pushing that ball down the field, good things happen. And that's exactly what happened, you know, against the Cardinals. I don't think, however, that Dayball took over the play calling. I mean, that's, you know, it's an amusing debate. And people are like, oh, we had the play sheet in the second half. Well, I love the, the storyline. First half, too. But like, it's so he didn't. Fun. I'm sure he had some level of input on it. But I don't think that's any different from, you know, what normally occurs during the game with the Giants. I just think that. Him and Kafka got together and said, listen, we've been outscored 60 to nothing. we got to do something, so let's take some shots down the field. Trust your quarterback. That's what you paid him for, and that paid dividends in the end. Yeah, I think I think it's just so fun. We have social media. We can all just like look at these little clips on social media and be like, oh, look, Dave Ball's calling plays because the shit's in front of his face and then just run with it like wildfire. It is the best. It's the best. It's the best beat of football fan to, in today's uh, world, and I do, I do feel sorry for the actual people on the field because we just make stuff up based on what we see. It's great. Um, I love it. It's amazing that people for two and a half quarters missed that he had the play sheet in his hand. And then all of a sudden it was like the Giants pushed the ball down the field. It's like, oh, my God, Dayball's calling plays. It's like no, literally nothing has changed except that they took some chances down the field. But all right, you run with that. Yeah, of course. It's so fun. Um, so if Dayball wasn't calling plays, Dan, he probably was saying, hey, keep running play action. You know, because I, I saw this on her next gen stats. 229 mm-hmm. of DJ's 321 passing yards. So over 70% of his passing yards in the game came off play action. He averaged 12.1 yards per attempt off the play action. So what they started to do was play fake it and throw bombs and and go down the field and be aggressive, and it worked. Uh, so that was a nice adjustment. Um, I think it really helped out the offensive line, who was, of course, struggling with the Arizona Cardinals, which is <laughs> just... Driving all of us crazy, I'm sure, by halftime. We're like, okay, we can't block the Cowboys. That's one thing. But if we can't block the Cardinals, we're screwed. Uh, but I think the play well, action. Let me, let me actually oh, go ahead, just go ahead. let me just interject really quickly because I, I had given this some thought too. Uh, once I calmed down from the fury that was the first two quarters of two <laughs> yep. and a half quarters of that game, is that I know the notion is, and I even said it myself. And I, you know, I'm going to eat a little crow here. Uh, this whole notion that the Cardinals are a tanking team. That is not a tanking football team. Yeah, uh, the the front office may want to tank. You know, the whole concept maybe let's get a high pick. It's always harder to convince players to do that, and it's almost impossible, really. And you look at that Cardinals team, and they are not a team. The, those players are not players that are tanking for that franchise. That's two consecutive weeks now. They may be on two, but they put up a heck of a fight the first two weeks of the season far more than anyone expected them to. And I honestly have got to tip my cap to the Cardinals and their players specifically because they're playing at such a higher level than anyone anticipated. And they're not going to get credit for it because they lost both of those games. Both of the games, which honestly, they probably should have won and were leading in the second half um, only to fade out late. But they they are a fighting team and they're going to upset some people along the way here. No, I'm glad you said that because the Cardinals didn't only want to beat you. They wanted to embarrass you in that game right Dan like they yeah you're 100 percent right and maybe it's 0-2 that's what ownership wanted um or we're hoping for but yeah I agree that those players Josh Dobbs specifically like that kid is getting an opportunity and he's trying to win and and earn a job and and that's going on but 
give me give me a little bit on the play action. I mean, cause that's that did seem like it created opportunities down the field. It helped the O line a little bit, um, and it really got the ball rolling. And even with when, when Barkley came out, the Cardinals were still falling for it. So it was definitely working. Hey, listen, if you're going to stack the box consistently to try and stop the run and force the pass down the field, then the Giants are going to – that's what they should do. They should run play action. They should push the ball down the field. In fact, it's it's something that we talked about last year on this podcast repeatedly about how the Giants need to just kind of work on stretching the field. Now, obviously, they didn't have the receivers and the speed capable of doing that to the level that they do now. But the addition of Jalen Hyatt and Darren Waller tight end – this is the kind of product that the Giants had in mind when they signed those two players because you cannot consistently stack the box to stop Saquon because Jalen Hyatt can get behind your safeties and and Darren Waller can find the space in the middle of the field and and towards each sideline, and that's precisely what happened. And then that begins to open things up for other players, which we saw on Sunday with Darius Slayton making a, a big play. Paris Campbell finally getting and holding on to the ball a little bit and making some plays and you know, and they were kind of spreading the ball around, and then there was that absolutely ridiculous dime of a touchdown throw to Isaiah Hodgins, which I would argue is the best pass of the first two seasons in the NFL, period, because the margin for error for their, for that throw was non-existent. I mean, you had maybe an extra inch of space to fit that ball in. You couldn't have thrown a better ball than that. But, yeah, I think that's what the Giants should have done uh, all along. I'm, I'm happy to see that they did do it. That's why you got these new players. That's why you increased your team speed. And, and that'll certainly benefit the Giants going forward because teams now are going to look at that and say, listen, you cannot just stack the box against these guys because, first of all, Darren Waller is an absolute mismatch nightmare. And there's no one on the field that you're going to be able to put on him that's going to win one-on-one. And second of all, you have to play deep safety now because if you don't, Jalen Hyatt's just going to run right past you. So that will now help the Giants in the run game. Granted, Barkley's going to miss a couple weeks, but it still should help in the run game. And, you know, it's become more of a pick your poison for the defense. You want to stack the box and stop the run? Well, they're going to go over top. If you want to protect against them going over top, they're going to be able to run the ball better. This is the sort of balanced offense the Giants had in mind when they signed these players and designed this offense. And it's nice to see it finally work for them. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Seeing those guys finally get unleashed and utilized and the offense start humming um, and DJ again playing the way he did put on the Superman cape. That's all the positives here. I mean, I think the team just holding the rope after they were down 20 to nothing in this game, uh, you know, they held the rope. They came back. They adjusted. They fought. They pulled off the best comeback in franchise history again since 1940, 1949, Dan, like the football, the, the kind of football that was being played back then. When the Giants were playing the Chicago Cardinals, I don't even know. Would love to go back and try to find a clip of that. Um, so that's all. It was, the it was slightly different. <laughs> yeah, I would say I don't even know if there was video, like a video of that. Uh, you have to piece together the old, the old tapes or whatever. But that's the positive stuff. The negatives is that the defense has been probably one of the most defense uh, disappointing units across the board in the league. The Giants' defense, Dan, they just have come out and had two really rough weeks of football. They're the only team in the NFL without a sack right now. Uh, you you also hit on, before we started recording, no takeaways on defense for the Giants. We asked last week, where the hell is Kayvon Thibodeau? It was time for him to step up again. I don't remember him making too many plays in this one either. Uh, so I just, we were all excited about this defense. Wink Martindale had his you know finger on the pulse of it. He usually makes life miserable on opposing quarterbacks. Dan, he isn't. And when you don't make life miserable for the opposing quarterback, 
you're going to struggle on defense, right? Um, in today's NFL, you have to put pressure. The Giants aren't getting pressure. What's the level of concern right now with the defense, Dan, the way they've performed for two weeks for you? It's very high. It's very high, and particularly the edge rush is a concern. The front seven, the entire front seven, not named Dexter Lawrence, is a concern, if I'm being completely honest. Now, he's he's just absolutely manhandling people. Like He is winning every single snap that he's on the field right now, but he's the only one on the defense that's doing that. The Giants have major, major issues up front. They cannot create organic pressure whatsoever. Kayvon Thibodeau was getting locked up by Zach Ertz on Sunday, and it was maddening. I mean, initially they were double-teaming him, and you couldn't really blame him for not getting pressure when he was getting doubled, but they quickly realized the Cardinals did that they could just throw a tight end out there and stop him. You can't get stonewalled by a tight end in the NFL when you're supposed to be an elite pass rusher. You just can't. And that's not a knock on Zach Ertz. Obviously, he's a good tight end, all-around veteran uh, guy who's always been pretty solid blocker. But this is Kayvon Thibodeau. He's supposed to be able to eat those kind of one-on-one matchups for lunch, and he's not doing it. Aziz Ojolari being out obviously hurt. Always a concern with him when it comes to the injuries. He can't ever seem to stay on the field. Uh, you know, there were a couple secondary blitzes that caused a little disruption, but overall – the pass rush is not existing. That puts a ton of pressure on the rookie cornerbacks. We talked about that coming into the season on this show. That if you're not creating that organic pressure, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna run into problems because your rookies are gonna have rookie moments. And we've seen that a little bit over the first two weeks. They've actually, Trey Hawkins in particular has played quite solid football, considering you know the kind of rough role that he's been thrust into uh, with with the lack of pressure. So the Giants have to find a way to fix that. But that's not even the most major problem on the defense, I don't think. You have a real issue with sound tackling right now. I mean, the amount of tackles that were broken on Sunday and even the week prior against the Cowboys, is it's astronomical. You can't win games giving up that many extra yards after contact. It's just it's, – it's a non-functional thing. Like, you, you, you've got to tackle better. And that's at all three different levels of the defense that they're struggling with that. Bobby Okereke had an absolutely horrendous game on Sunday. He made a couple solid plays late that are going to stick at people's mind because they're the most recent. But largely throughout that game, he, he was playing horrible football. He really was playing horrible, horrible football. Uh, Michael McFadden took a step back against the Cardinals. You know, he had a couple solid moments, but overall he played poorly. Xavier McKinney, who was really the star of the show in the in the first week, was kind of up and down with his play on, you know, on Sunday. He got bowled over by Joshua Dobbs. Some are saying that he was trying to strip the ball at the one-yard line. Make the tackle. You know what I mean? Make the tackle. Uh, the Giants have had a real problem with that. And if you don't get pressure and you're not making tackles, you're giving up big chunk plays, you're not going to have the opportunity for turnovers. And it just everything kind of spirals out of control from there. So they've got a lot of problems on the defensive side of the ball. But it really starts with some fundamentals. Make your tackles. Win one-on-one matchups, especially when you're an elite pass rusher going against a tight end. You cannot get stonewalled. Yep, that's it, man. That's it. It's it's been rough on that side of the football. It's got to improve. Uh, I mean, Josh Dobbs shredded you out there. Seven and a half yards per completion for Josh Dobbs. And again, when he flexed after running over McKinney, it was like, oh, the Giants are screwed in this game. You just had that feeling in the first half, didn't you, Dan? It's like, oh, the God, this is not. Yeah. This well, is not what even we want. even in the second half, when when you know the Giants' offense comes out, they hit that big fifty-eight yard bomb to, to Jalen Hyatt, which was a thing of beauty. And you know what? Really, I need to credit Jalen because one aspect of that play that's going to get overlooked is the fact that after he caught that ball and started running for the end zone, 
he did not see the Cardinals defender over his left shoulder on his blind side. He was looking to the right and credit to that kid because it was his first ever completion or reception in the NFL. And that very, that ball could have very easily been stripped from him, but he held tough on that and, and took the ball to the ground with him. And that's a, that's a tiny little bit of that play that goes overlooked. So credit to Jalen Hyatt there. But after the Giants scored on that drive, you know, the defense immediately came back and surrendered a punch to the face yes. and a two point conversion yeah. on the very next Cardinal series. And you're thinking to yourself, can this defense stop anything? And I know people are going to be like, oh, well, they were great for the last you know, quarter and a half. They weren't really great. They did what they had to do. Uh, it wasn't particularly gorgeous by any stretch of the imagination. So there are a lot of things they really need to clean up defensively. Um, and like I said, the vast majority of that begins with the front seven and, of course, the tackling from all three phases there. Well, no problem. They have an easy matchup this week, Dan. Uh, yeah, which we're going to super, get, super easy. Which we'll get into here coming up next. But first, our friend Corey Bonini has some fantasy advice for week three. Corey Bonini of Huddle.com here to bring you strong plays for week number three. Quarterback Kenny Pickett, Pittsburgh Steelers at Las Vegas Raiders. This one is somewhat of a shaky recommendation, and Pickett's ceiling maybe isn't as high as some would like, but he has a little bit sturdier of a floor this week than usual. Las Vegas has given up 225 yards and two and a half passing touchdowns per game, and there's a clear need for the Steelers to open up this aerial attack. Even though Pickett will be without Deontay Johnson once again, he still has a dangerous weapon in George Pickens, two capable pass-catching running backs, and a quality tight end to rely on. Be pleased with something in the neighborhood of 250 yards and a pair of scores, but he's probably best utilized in daily fantasy sports. Running back Javante Williams, Denver Broncos at Miami Dolphins. Somewhat surprisingly, Williams has dominated this backfield's carry count 25-9 over Samaj P. Ryan in the early going. The two have produced nearly identical fantasy results, however, and suffice it to say, the returns haven't been great. That should turn the corner this week against a Miami Dolphins defense that has given up running back touchdowns at the fourth highest rate and only two teams have yielded more running back yards on the ground. This matchup is much easier to exploit rushing-wise, and we like Williams for a season-high performance as a fringe running back two or a strong flex. Wide receiver Kadarius Toney, Kansas City Chiefs versus Chicago Bears. No KC receiver has drawn more targets in each of the first two games than Tony, and he shook off the rust that led to his Week 1 disaster with a 100% catch rate on his five looks in Week 2. He's always a home run threat, and the former New York Giant offers potential for rushing points as a bonus. Chicago has given up wide receiver touchdowns at the fourth highest rate thus far in 2023, and Tony's an interesting gamble out of the flex position. Tight end Cade Otten, Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus Philadelphia Eagles. Eight touchdownless catches for 60 yards through two weeks doesn't really move the needle in fantasy, but Otten warrants a lineup spot due to this brilliant matchup for those of us who stream the tight end position. The Eagles have permitted the most PPR points, non-PPR points, and receptions to the position through two games. This is the number two matchup for yardage, and only a pair of defenses have surrendered touchdown scores at a higher rate. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. All right, we're back. It's always great getting some fantasy advice from uh, from Corey Bonini. Dan, are, are you? should everyone be picking up Matt Breida? Uh, I know everyone's probably trying to figure out because he hasn't done much of anything. <laughs> <laughs> but now Saquon Barkley's out. Are, in fantasy leagues, are you picking up Matt Breida and throwing him in your lineup? Or I would advise against it. He's, he's, he's a better running back than I think people give him credit for. Obviously, you know, being buried behind... Saquon Barkley, you're not going to get a whole bunch of opportunities, but he's a bruiser. He can run within that system. I think you'll see on Sunday that he's not incapable. Of course, you know, they're going against the 49ers front seven, so he's probably not going to light the world on fire. But against an easier matchup, I'd advise, you know, not to be scared of starting Matt Breda. He's, he's like I said, he's a, he's a good player. He's got a history, you know, of, of being successful. 
you know, in within his role. And I don't think the drop off is going to be massive. I mean, you're not going to get any plays from Breida like you did with Barkley making that catch, turning the corner and leaping for the pylon. I mean, that's a superstar kind of player right there. You're not going to get that kind of stuff, but you'll get quality consistency out of Breida, maybe a touchdown out of him. Tough matchup this weekend, though, or, or I guess this week, Thursday night. Uh, this is a spot that we talked about way back in the summer, Dan, spring schedule day when the schedule was released. This was one of those ones where it's, it's like a scheduled loss. You know, you're on the West Coast. You play in Arizona. Then you play in San Francisco. You're playing one of the best teams in the NFL. On uh, This is this is now the third game in 11 days for the Giants. Back-to-back games out West. The Giants, I, I think, according to Art Stapleton, they weren't they never planned to go home, right? They stayed out there, right, Dan? Yeah, that was the plan all yep. along. Yep. They, they didn't want to readjust and then adjust back to the the, the time change. So schedule-wise, this was this was a, just an impossible spot. And now uh, we're living it, going up against this uh, this San Francisco team, a little bit banged up, you know, missing one of you know the best offensive players, obviously, in Saquon Barkley. The Giants opened as ten point road underdogs, Dan. Uh, so this is a uh, this is a spot where it's just like, thank God. They came back and won that game against Arizona. You know what I mean? It's just like, thank God they figured that thing out. Yeah, it was a must. It was a must win. Like we yeah. talked about that last week. They, I know it's hard to say that about any you know week two game, but you know you see it now. You see why it was important. Why it was a must win because they'd be staring down the barrel at zero and three. And you know, let's be honest, at zero and two, your chances of making the playoffs are slim to none. And at zero and three, you know, basically forget about it, your season's over. But you know, certainly a tough matchup, arguably one of the toughest that they're going to have all year. It comes on short rest. It comes in prime time. It comes on the road. You know, the odds are certainly stacked against them, and the Vegas line represents that. Yeah, it's a 10-point spread, and this is one of those games where I would sit down for the podcast, prep for the podcast on my own. Uh, we don't really prep together, Dan, right? We kind of come with our own stuff and then mix it together on show day, which it's been working for us for the last three years or so. Uh, but this is one where I would go in my own notes and be like, all right, there's no way Dan's picking the Giants. This one is very obvious. The Giants are going to get smoked by the 49ers. But this is one of those games where I would come in thinking that and you'd say, no, actually, no, Ryan, I think the Giants are going to win. You know, like this is one of those games where it just seems so far fetched. The Giants will win and you'll actually predict the Giants win and they will win or co- or easily cover. So is this one of those spots, Dan? Because to me, I just I, I see no chance. But that's my brain thinking yours works in mysterious ways, especially when it comes to the Giants. So do you see can, can you talk yourself into any situation where the Giants have a chance to win this ball game? Well, it's funny that you say that. Because that, there is it? a scenario in which I see an avenue for the Giants yes. to shock the football world. Do I actually think that's going to happen in the end? Yeah, not necessarily so much. But you might get there by the end of the show. <laughs> I will say this, and and you, you've heard me say this on the show before: the Giants tend to play up to the level of their competition, which, granted, they did not do in Week One, or down to the level of their competition, which arguably they did last week. That's been a staple of this organization for as long as I've watched them, far longer than I've covered them. Uh, I don't think that that's going to be something that changes anytime soon. Um, They embrace the underdog role. They especially love it when the expectations are that they're going to get crushed. Um, And all of those things are true right now. The odds are completely stacked against the Giants, and that's when they're they're at their absolute best. That's historically been the case. I see no reason for that not to be the case again now. Um, even though every logical sense of everyone's being would say that they don't stand a chance in this game, I think they might actually surprise some people and at the very least be competitive in this game and fall within that 10 point spread. So you think, so you would say the giants taking those points might be, might be a smart decision. 
I know that after the first six quarters of this season, that that's going to be very difficult for anyone to swallow <laughs> and certainly advice that most people are probably not going to take. But again, I would advise them to look back at the Giants historically and how these things tend to play out. Um, I don't think that they're ultimately going to pick up the win. I do think it's possible, far more possible than people are giving it credit for. Um, but in the end, it's really going to rely heavily on their defense and whether or not they could turn it around in the same way that the offense turned it around. And that's not going to be easy against Christian McCaffrey in this running game. Uh, but again, you know, when it comes to the points and when it comes to the game itself, I can see the giants coming out. I could see them fighting hard. They seem to have that back in them now. Um, you know, they're kind of fighting for each other, fighting against all the doubters. They, they feel like they're being laughed at. And I think they're going to come out. I think they're going to play hard. And I do think they're eventually going to end up losing this game, but I, I do, like I said before, I do feel like they're going to they're they're going to fall within that ten points. All right. Well, another thing with Thursday night games, they tend to be a little ugly, right? Even the the really good teams like the Forty ers that we all think are Super Bowl contenders, and they are obviously. Uh, even they'll play some ugly football on that Thursday night. It's just too soon to be playing football <laughs> Dan, right? And it, you just see. It, I think like, th- honestly, Thursday night. Just forget the fact that I hate covering. And Thursday night games from just looking at it from a player's point of view, I think Thursday night games are the worst decision that the NFL has made. Yeah. And as a, and as a selfish fan, I, I love Thursday night football. It's great, but it's always ugly. You know, it's always ugly. So you're going to dangerous get, is what it is. Oh, honestly. for the players, Sure. Yeah. No, there's yeah. no doubt about that, but you know, it, it does tend to level the playing field a little bit. Now it's tough to win out in San Francisco, but, uh, I think that's the, you just kind of talked about the defense. I mean, that's the uh, unit that needs to rise up, right? I mean, Kyle Shanahan, Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy. He seems like a the dude has not lost. Okay, so the dude is ten and zero as a starter, Dan, including the playoffs when he doesn't have his elbow snap in the first quarter of a NFC Championship game. You know what I mean? That kid just doesn't lose. So I mean, he is just such an interesting story himself. But you got Purdy, you got Debo Samuel, you got Ayuk who looks good, George Kittle, like. They just have studs all over the place. And for a defense that has just not been playing good football, it seems like a nightmare situation. But maybe they'll step up, right? Maybe this is the game where they say, okay, enough's enough. You know, we're going to figure this thing out. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm watching. Yeah, they've got to be going into this game knowing that they can be humiliated on national television for the second time this year. Like, because they... They can, they don't, they don't, let's just be honest. They do not match up well against San Francisco's offense. They just don't. Uh, now they should, they should given all of the changes in speed that was added, the the work on fixing the run defense, which has been like Swiss cheese so far this year, now going up against arguably the best running back in football. Uh, they should be better than they are. There's no doubt about that, but they've also got to now know after the first two weeks of the season that the San Francisco 49ers are licking their chops. They, they probably believe they could put up 50 on the Giants' defense at this point, and there's no reason to believe that they can't, given what we've seen the first two weeks. So Wink and his crew undoubtedly know that they're coming for them, and they don't want to be absolutely humiliated once again on national television in front of the entire world. So um, they should come into this game with a chip on their shoulder. They should come in hot, and they should you know, rely heavily on Wink and his intelligence Um you know, because he finds ways to put his players in, in the best position to succeed. And granted, they haven't done that through the first two weeks, but they've got to buy in. They've got to trust what Wink does. And then they've got to go out there and they've got to perform. Because if you don't and you don't go give this game the best that you've got, you're, you're going to be embarrassed and you're going to be embarrassed really bad. 
Now, we know Saquon's out for this one, Dan. Andrew Thomas is out there on the West Coast with the team, right? Does he have any shot of playing? He does. I, I don't know if he's going to make it in time. The short week kind of stinks, and you know, obviously they have that extra day uh, going into next Monday night's game. Um, so they may obviously just decide to to sit him out and, and make sure he's healthy. Hamstring injuries can be a fickle thing, and you really don't want your best player because that's what he is. Outside maybe Dexter Lawrence, their best player, to, to miss any extended period of time. So I would say he does have a chance at playing, and if it was a Sunday game, he probably would. Um, and Thursday night, I'd say it's going to be a game time decision. Okay. So in terms of the prediction, as we, um, you know, the great Danton enters the program here, it's, it is the great Danton, um, to pick, to basically be like, the Giants are not going to cover against the Washington command. I mean, I'm sorry, the Arizona Cardinals. Like last week, you were so sure you're like, they're not going to cover against this team. It's going to be ugly. They might even lose. And I, I didn't even believe you, Dan. I picked the Giants in my survivor pool and and was sweating that thing out on Sunday. I'm like, holy crap, what was I thinking? Dan told me, and I said, no, 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 Dan. The Giants are going to win by multiple touchdowns. Er, wrong, right? So it is It is so great, Danton, to pick the Giants to struggle against Arizona, but then come back and have a chance to beat the 49ers, right? That's just like the experience. This is why I love this part of the segment. So the official prediction is, I think you're. St- it sounds like you're stopping a little short of that money line unless – you think you're you've gotten there by the end of the program, but you it does seem like you're taking these points, this ten ten and a half I, whatever it is. It's I was ten the last time I looked. I think it might have even gotten it to eleven if I'm being completely honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I, I said the Giants have the potential for them to be embarrassed is certainly there, but historically I just I can't get over the trends that this team just seems to abide by through different general managers and coaches and players and years and decades and, 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 you know, dating all the way back to their history. It's just, it's just the staple of who they are. And this just seems like a game where they're going to come out, they're going to fight hard. They're going to fall in the end, but it's not going to be the domination that everybody expects it to be. Even though that, like I said, I will acknowledge and admit that that potential is very much there. And there's really no logic for me to say that it won't happen other than that's just my gut. And that's how these giants are. And I do think they lose, but I don't think they lose by 10, 11, 12, 13 points. All right, there you go, folks. We're taking the points here against the mighty 49ers. And hopefully the Giants look a lot more like they did in the last two quarters than they did in the first six of the season. But we don't have to wait long for more Giants football, Dan. It's coming right up here. You haven't stopped since the season started, right? Maybe this weekend you could take a little (laughs) deep breath. I don't know. I'll be able to just chill and watch Red Zone this weekend and not have to worry about <laughs> worry about too much, thankfully. But it's funny because I remember, the, you know, in the very early minutes of when we started recording this regular season, I said, you know, it's gonna we're going to blink and it's going to be Monday night against the Seattle Seahawks. And we're mm-hmm. going to be like, wow, that went fast. And when we talk next week, that's exactly where we're going to be. We blinked and it was gone just like that. I mean, it's already week three. Like we're talking about week three of the season already. Like what? Okay, yep. so we're already through two weeks. It does. It goes by so quick, man. It's it's wild. Yep. It is wild once we start getting into it. But um, that's what makes it fun. That's what makes it fun. You got to enjoy every second of it. Hopefully, we're enjoying the hell out of this game against the 49ers. If the Giants look a lot better, I think we will. Uh, Dan and I will be back next week to break that all down. For Dan, I'm Ryan O'Leary again. We appreciate you. Hit subscribe if you could. Tell a friend if you like the podcast. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon. 